Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you. It's good to see some, some faces here again this morning. We're thankful for those of you who are, who are watching online. I saw even there in the comments of online a shout out from St. Louis. So shout out to uh, St. Louis, whoever is watching from there. Excited uh, that you have joined us this morning. Uh, it's good to be together. It's good to open God, God's Word. It's good to consider and what we have been considering for quite a few weeks, this idea of, of biblical friendship. Uh, so we're going to continue on this week. I, I know it's, it's the, the holiday season, the Advent season, but we decided to kind of press on in this study. Uh, and next week we will, we will step out of it for a moment with it being the, the Sunday before Christmas and focus on the majesty of the Word made flesh. But we're going to continue on uh, this morning in, in our series on biblical friendship uh, and, and, you know, this, this series, I think, has been very encouraging. I hope it's kind of spurred you on in your pursuit of biblical friendships and our need for, for biblical friendship. And what we're going to do this week and then here in two weeks is we're going we're gonna to take a look at six marks of a biblical friendship. Marks of a biblical friendship. So we're going to take three this week. Again, take a break next week for Christmas. Come back and examine, examine the next three. Uh, but I want to tell you here up front that these six principles, these six marks of biblical friendship, uh, they're not original to me. Uh, I didn't make them up. What I'm going to try to do this morning is take somebody else's work and expound on it. These come from Drew Hunter's book. I've mentioned it a few times in the series. Uh, his book entitled Made for Friendship. It's a great book. Recommend reading it. And in a chapter entitled A Friend Who Is As Your Soul, listen to what Hunter writes. He says, a great thing is friendship, John Chrysostom preached, and how great no one can learn and no discourse represent but experience itself. Our experiences with friendship shape our understanding of friendship. The friends that we have influence what we think friendship means. This is why we might summarize our definition of friendship with the name of our closest friend. So what is friendship? Dan, Joe, John. But what if, this is still Hunter, he says, but what if our experience falls short of true friendship and we don't even know it? What if we're missing something? How would we know? We may be like someone who thinks that fast food is an ideal dinner only because we have never tasted steak. Many of us only know fast food friendship and have yet to experience the filet mignon friendship. And then what Hunter goes on to do is he, he goes on to give these six ingredients, or as we're saying, these six marks of what biblical friendship entails. And so again, what I want to do this morning is I want to take the first three of those marks and, and unpack them, flesh them out a little bit more for us. And this will be a little different from how I normally preach. As you know, here at New Breed, we put, we put a high value on expository preaching. We typically preach through books of the Bible, line by line, verse by verse. We love doing that. Uh, so this is going to be a little different from that. This is going to be a little bit more of a topical sermon, but because I love the Bible so much, we're still going to ground it in Scripture, amen? Uh, but we're going to jump around a little bit more, which is why you may have noticed, for those of you here, I didn't tell you to open your Bible to any specific place. For those of you who are watching online, the Scripture wasn't given with the title. We're, we're going to move around a little bit and try to unpack these first three marks of a biblical friendship. 
But let me begin by sharing with you why this is even important. Why these marks matter. So first, these marks are a good way to evaluate whether or not your current friendships are fast food friendships or filet mignon friendships. Whether your friendships are fast food friendships or filet mignon friendships. Whether the friendships we currently have are actually good and and healthy and there's some weight to them and and they bring glory to God and they serve our souls well. But, But the second reason why these marks matter is because as we build new friendships, these are the marks that will make our friendships deep, meaningful, and God-honoring. As we build new friendships, these are the marks that will make our friendships deep, meaningful, and God-honoring. You know, we, as we started this series, we, we began by looking at how we are built for friendship. How, how it's hardwired into who we are. Uh, but, but not only is it something that we're built for, it's something we're called to. We kind of fleshed out how, how our friendships are actually a part of our ministry, that biblical friendship is ministry. But then we talked over the next two sermons about how it is we begin this process of cultivating biblical friendships. We talked about how we first must be people of humility. People of humility. And second, as as we pursue these friendships, we must purposefully pursue depth. And so these marks, in a sense, are the next step in this kind of progression of building biblical friendship. So so after we've pursued humility, after we've pursued depth, now we have to maintain these friendships. Now we have to live in these friendships. We have to continue to pursue the other people in this relationship. And we will know that our friendships are healthy and biblical if these six marks are present. And simultaneously, as we continue to strive for these marks, our friendships will continue to thrive as well. So in other words saying all that, we're simply answering the question, what will it take for our friendships to last? That's that's what it boils down to. What will it take for our biblical friendships to last? You know, Charles Spurgeon, in a sermon entitled The Best Friend, which he preached in February of 1882, he said this in that sermon, true friends are very scarce. We have a great many acquaintances, and sometimes we call them friends, and so misuse the noble word friendship. Peradventure, in some after day of adversity, when those so-called friends have looked out for their own interest and left us to do the best we can for ourselves, that word friendship may come back to us with sad and sorrowful associations. Spurgeon goes on, he says, the friend in need is the friend indeed. And such friends, I say again, are scarce. Now, listen to this last part of what Spurgeon says. Here's what I want you to get. He says, when thou hast found such a man and proved the sincerity of his friendship, when he has been faithful to thy father and to thee, 
Grapple him to thy grapple him to thyself with hooks of steel and never let him go. In essence, that's what we're trying to do with these marks of biblical friendship. We are trying to sink our hooks deep into those who are true friends. And these marks, these six marks, the three we'll look at today, they are evidence. If we see these marks in our friendship and in our relationships, if if they are present and evident, it, it tells us that our hooks are in deep. So what are the marks of a biblical friendship? What are the marks of a healthy friendship? Well, here's the first one. The first mark of a healthy friendship is affection. The first mark of a healthy friendship is affection. And I want to be clear, when we talk about affection, we're, we're, not, we're not just talking about, you know, I like this person, they're cool, I enjoy spending time with them. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about affection, we are talking about a deep love. Again, this goes beyond merely liking a person. This goes beyond merely enjoying a person. This goes beyond having the same interest as someone. This affection, this love is a love that changes how we are willing to live. Let me say that again, that this affection and this love is a love that changes how we are willing to live. In a sense, we began to see this reality very briefly at the end of our sermon last week when we looked at the friendship between Jonathan and David. So if you have your Bibles with you, flip over to 1 Samuel chapter 18. 1 Samuel chapter 18, and I want to I look at verses 1 through 3 to begin with here. 1 Samuel 18 verses 1 through 3. The Word of God says this, that when, when David had finished speaking with Saul, Jonathan was bound to David in close friendship and loved him as much as he loved himself. Saul kept David with him from that day on and did not let him return to his father's house. Now verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him. As much as himself, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. So I I want you to notice a couple things. First, I want you to notice the depth of Jonathan's love for David. The depth of Jonathan's love for David. Because the the reason we're looking at Jonathan as David is, is honestly barring Jesus, right, and our friendship with God. I think that this is probably the clearest picture of friendship we have in Scripture is Jonathan and David. I mean, it's, it's something that a lot of people know, that Jonathan and David were, were friends. They were, they're, they're the picture of friendship, again, outside of, of our relationship with God and, and, and all that, but, but this earthly friendship. And one of the things that makes it so unique is the depth of the love between Jonathan and David. In both verse 1 and verse 3, you see that Jonathan loved David, what does it say? As much as he loved himself. As much as he loved himself. And what, what this points to, we can't miss this, is one of the foundational necessities for biblical friendship that we've already talked about. Humility. 
I mean, this statement that he loved David as much as he loved himself, it reveals a Philippians 2-3 heart. Right? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more important than, than yourselves. This is God revealing to us in his word that the way that Jonathan loved him was he loved David as much, if not more, as he loved himself. This, this was a love that was rooted in humility. You see, Jonathan, in his friendship with David, in his affection for David, he lost any notion of self-preservation. That, that's very important, that Jonathan lost any, any notion of self-preservation. But, but the second thing that I want you to notice from these three verses is I want you to notice that this love, this affection, it changed how Jonathan was willing to live. Because look again at what it says there in verse 3. It says, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. Jonathan was willing to enter into a covenant relationship with David. One, hear me, that would put Jonathan at odds with his father Saul, the king of Israel. And Jonathan was willing to change his life for this friendship. That's how deep the love was. I wonder how many of us are really ready and willing to change our lives because of friendship. You know, recently I heard I heard a story, uh, and, and I'm not going to lie to you, my first response to it probably wasn't the righteous and holy one, because I was like, this person's an idiot. But I heard a story of somebody who, who I've known for a while, I wouldn't call us friends, but we, we, we know of each other. He had been studying really hard, he's married, has a couple kids, been studying really hard, working really hard to, to, to work in a particular field. And he got a call, he got the call that probably anybody in the professional world longs to get the, the, from a business, like, hey, we want you. And he's not applying for jobs, right? Like, we, we want you. It's the dream job. It was the job that he, he I, I believe he had said that he set his mind on, like, I would like to work there and do that. And they called him and they said, we want you to come take this job. He prayed with it, or pray, prayed through it, prayed with his wife about it. They had talked about it. By any earthly standards, you take the job. I mean, we're talking about like moving from struggling to make ends meet into like a six-figure salary doing what he loves to do. Prayed about it. They weighed through it. And they decided not to take it. And I, and I heard this story. And I heard it from someone else, a mutual friend. And the mutual friend asked him, why aren't you taking this job? And his response was, because of you. Because of my friendships here, we can't leave those. Went on to explain how God had used them to grow them and shape them and truly satisfy the soul. And he was willing to change his life for his friendship. When I first heard that, I'm going to be honest, I was like, well, that was dumb. Take the job, right? Provide for your family. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, man, what a faithful picture of such a deep affection for your friends that you're willing to change. He wouldn't move because he didn't want to leave his friends. He didn't want to leave his friends. You know, Jonathan displayed that kind of care. That kind of thoughtfulness and commitment to David. He loved him and it changed how he lived. And you know, while Jonathan and David are a helpful picture, the love that we are talking about isn't most clearly seen in Jonathan and David. 
the love that we are talking about, this friendship love is most clearly exemplified in Jesus. It's most clearly revealed in the gospel message that we proclaim because remember, as it says in John 15, 13, that no greater, no one has greater love than this. And to lay down his life for his friends, that was a love that changed how Jesus lived. So when we, we want to see this type of love and affection most clearly displayed, when we, when we want an example to follow of what the love and affection in our biblical friendships should look like, we have to look to Jesus and how he has loved us. A love that begins with the Father, that flows through the Son, that's revealed by the Spirit. This Trinitarian love, a love that flows from our triune God where he longs to see his creation restored to right fellowship and to friendship with him despite how unworthy we are, a love that caused him to move and to act. I mean, church, that's the gospel message, is it not? That God loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus, who, who lived the life that we should have lived, died in our place, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And that's not everlasting life in isolation. That's everlasting life in covenant friendship with God for all of eternity. That's the hope that we have. That's the message we proclaim. And that is the love with which we are called to love our friends and affection that is so deep that it changes how we are willing to live. It is a deep love that we are called to. It is, it is also a love, though, that we can only have through God the Father. Because remember, 1 John 4.19 tells us that we love because He first loved us. The only way we will ever be able to have the friendships the Bible speaks of is when we first and foremost recognize and dwell in and meditate on the magnificent love that God has for us. In other words, the type of friendships that we are talking about, the depth of affection that God longs for us to have in our relationships, in our friendships, it is a love that is only available to those who are in Christ Jesus. So let me pause there and kind of flesh that out. That's also why it doesn't make any sense to me when believers tell me their best friend is an unbeliever. It makes no sense to me. I'm not saying you can't be friends with unbelievers. Please be friends with an unbeliever, right? I mean, care for them, love them, share the gospel. But in terms of this, as we would say, like this best friend, this deep friendship, this biblical relationship that we are called to be in, this friend that will satisfy your soul and cause you to look more like Jesus, that requires that we be united in friendship with those who are in the faith. This is a, an affection that is reserved only for those who have known first the love of God and are now loving as a result of that. And brothers and sisters, this is a love that we have to fight for. And some of you might be hearing that and be think, thinking, man, that's, that's challenging. That's a difficult love. That is a difficult love. That is a love that you will never muster up on your own. You're not strong enough. But what is one of the fruits of the Spirit? The first one mentioned, love. This is something that God will fight alongside you to cultivate in your life as you pursue Him and have your face fixed on the Father as you are daily dwelling in His Word, pursuing Jesus with all that you are. This is a fruit that the Spirit Himself will cultivate in you so that you can love and live in these deep, meaningful, biblical friendships. 
But here's the amazing thing. When our friendships contain this deep affection, they will not be easily shaken. No matter what happens, there will be a sense of consistency there because we love. This actually leads to the second mark of a biblical friendship. A second mark of a biblical friendship is constancy. It's constancy. Being a constant friend. I love what Hunter writes about this idea of constancy in his book when he says this. He says, this first part should sound a little familiar to you. A real real friend will never give you up or let you down. He will never turn away or desert you. But he goes on and he says this. He says, constant friends make the hard times easier and the easy times better. A friend loves at all times, Proverbs says, and a brother is born for adversity. And then he goes on, he says, and to paraphrase Proverbs 18.24, a man of many Facebook friends may come to ruin, but a true friend sticks closer than family. Hunter goes on, he says, sometimes we view friendships as the one relationship without any commitments. We enter or exit at will. That's the beauty of it, right? Unlike marriage and family, we feel no obligation to stick it out. We freely give our loyalty as an ongoing choice. And he says, it's true that we enter friendships voluntarily. But once we enter it, it is also true. Is it also true, sorry, that we don't have any responsibilities to our friends? No. Everyone expects loyalty from friends. The Bible even commands it when disaster strikes. Do not forsake your friend or your father's friend. Proverbs 27.10 And all that, that he's getting at there is that the mark of a true, a biblical friendship is constancy. The type of friendship that God calls us to, brothers and sisters, is not a fickle friendship. It is not a friendship that exists when we want it to, and it is not easily exited, and it persists even when things get tough. I'll say that again since it's one of your fill-ins on your handout if you're here in person. The type of friendship that God calls us to is not a fickle friendship. It is not a friendship that exits when we want it to. It is not easily, I'm sorry, it is not a friendship that exists when we want it to. It is not easily exited and it persists even when things get tough. Hunter also notes this in his book. He says, suffering is the great relationship revealer. We often learn how strong a friendship is when we don't have anything to give. We also find out what kind of friends we are when a friend can't give us anything. You see, we want to develop friendships. We need to develop friendships that are constant, that they endure through seasons when we have nothing to give. They endure through seasons when the other person has nothing to give. They endure no matter what is going on in our lives. Again, Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for a difficult time. That is in the word of God that a friend loves at all times. There is clearly 
an expectation of consistency and constancy in our relationships one another if they are going to be deep, meaningful, God-honoring friendships. I mean, that's it, right? That's the crux of the point. A friend loves at all times. They love when the other person is struggling. They love when they are struggling. They love when things are out of control. They love when everything is going right, no matter what this deep-rooted affection stands and friendship endures. You know, in our culture today, in many of our friendships, constancy is lacking. It's lacking. For many of us, when we look back at friendships we've had, when things get rocky, when they get rough, especially in the friendship. When hostility comes up in the friendship between two friends. When you have to deal with the hard stuff, it is, it is easier to walk away than remain faithful. It's easier. I say that as someone who has walked away from friendships. It's easier. But it doesn't make for meaningful, God-honoring friendships. Biblical friendship will remain constant. You know, we can look again at Jonathan and David and we see this very thing. If you still have your Bibles open there in 1 Samuel 18, let me remind you of verse 3. It says that Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as much as himself. That, That covenant was a declaration from Jonathan to David that no matter what happens, I will not give up on you. That covenant was a promise that even if things get hard, I will not abandon you. And that was put to the test a few chapters later. Again, we we hit on this last week, but let me remind you, in chapter 20, so just, just two chapters later, David finds himself on the run. Saul, Jonathan's father, the king of Israel, is seeking to kill David. And Jonathan has two choices in that very moment. Two choices and only two. He could either remain a faithful friend to the one that he had covenanted with. Or he could have done what was likely more convenient and easier. He could have walked away and defaulted to his familial relationship with his father. Well, but what did he do? Well, if you still have your Bible open to 1 Samuel 18, just flip forward maybe a page or so to 1 Samuel chapter 20. And I'm going to pick up reading in verse 12. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 12 through 15. This is Jonathan speaking. He says, by the Lord. The God of Israel, I will sound out my father by this time tomorrow or the next day. If I find out that he is favorable toward you, will I not send for you and tell you? If my father intends to bring evil on you, may the Lord punish Jonathan and do so severely. If I do not tell you and send you away so you may leave safely. May the Lord be with you just as he is with my father. If I continue to live, show me kindness from the Lord. But if I die, Don't even withdraw your kindness from my household. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. And as we mentioned last week, in those verses, five times Jonathan invokes the name of the Lord, reminding David of the covenant of friendship they had made not only between each other, but also between them and God. 
Jonathan is declaring that I am for you. I will be constant. I will be consistent. I will not walk away from our friendship. Jonathan is declaring, David, I have your back no matter what. And David was doubting. David was not sure Jonathan had his back. And I love this because Jonathan did not take offense to that. He did not say, fine, you don't think I'm going to be there? Then I'm not going to be there. That's not what he did. He was constant and consistent to the covenant that he had made with his friend. And Jonathan declared, I got you. I mean, and let's be honest, brothers and sisters, not even getting super theological, just practically, we need that, don't we? We need some people in our lives, some friends that say, no matter what, come hell or high water, I got your back. I'm not going anywhere. I'll be there. When you make stupid choices, I'm not going to run for the hills. When you make mistakes, when you make bad choices, when you're hurting, when you're struggling, when nothing seems to be going right, I got your back. When everything's going great, I'll be there. I'll celebrate. When triumphs of the faith happen, I'll be the one, you know, fist bumping you and, and giving you a high five. I'm there with you. I've got your back. We need that. You know what the amazing thing is? God knows that we need this. That's exactly how God operates in his friendship to us who are in Christ Jesus. God is a constant friend and everything that he does declares, I got your back. I mean, we see this reality in 1 John 1, 9. Where scripture tells us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's God saying, I got your back. Even as a believer, you are my covenant friend in Christ. When you sin, when you rebel against me, I'm here, I'll forgive, I've got your back. He will never abandon us when we make foolish choices. He never walks away from his covenant friendship with us. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. God's saying, look, I've got your back. I've got your back. And again, this is rooted in his deep love for himself and his deep love for us. It is rooted in his affection. A genuine love that leads God to constant and consistent relationship. One that endures And one that does not only exist when it is convenient. And that's what we're called to. A genuine love that will be constant. One that endures and one that does not only exist when it's convenient for us. Again, God's consistency with us is not rooted in our worthiness. Praise God. That God's consistency in His friendship with us is not rooted in our worthiness. It is rooted in His covenant love. The question that we have to ask is, are our friendships with others based on whether or not we perceive them to be worthy of our time and our affection? You know, when friendships are built on affection and they endure with unwavering constancy, they will be friendships that will grow deep. They will be friendships where it will be easy to be open and honest and where we will be transparent with one another. And this leads to the final mark I want to discuss this morning. The first three of the six. 
The third mark of a healthy friendship is transparency. Transparency. The third mark of a healthy friendship is transparency. So turn in your Bibles, flip ahead to 1 John chapter 1. First John chapter one, and I want to read beginning in verse five through verse eight. First John one, five through eight. Again, thinking about this idea of transparency. John records this and he says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. And if we say we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and are not practicing the truth. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And if we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So, so let's walk through this briefly, right? Keep looking at it. It's, John reminds us there of who God is. And he says that God is life. That there is no darkness in him. God is everything that is right and that is good and that is perfect. And then he goes on and he says that if we say we have fellowship with God, but we are walking in darkness, brothers and sisters, scary, we are deceived. We are deceived. We are lying and we are not practicing the truth. Why? Because God is light and God cannot have fellowship with darkness. And church, let me pause here. That's a fundamental reality of what we believe as Christians. That God cannot have fellowship with darkness because if he could, the cross was unnecessary. If God could fellowship with darkness, Jesus didn't need to come. We don't need to celebrate Christmas because Jesus didn't have to die. We don't need Easter either. But, but the reality is that God cannot have fellowship with darkness. We see this in the garden, right? Where after Adam and Eve sin and they rebel against God, God removes them from the garden. That wasn't God just trying to be mean and giving them a time out. No, God was making an eternal declaration that I am light and I cannot be in the presence of darkness. And that's what makes what Jesus did so incredible. Because He came to restore our relationship. So though we are in darkness, though we have sinned, all of us, and every one of us determines deserves eternal separation from God. Jesus pays the penalty for our sin. He was separated from God on our behalf. And His light is given to us so that we can walk with our God who is light. And what John is addressing here in these verses are those who claim to be in Christ yet persist in walking in darkness. But then John offers this alternative and he says, if though we walk in the light as he himself is in the light. Now notice this because often we skip over this. We have fellowship with one another. So he just jumps from God right to one another there. That, 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 that if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And... The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So there we have 
fellowship with God as well. You see, this is very important because what John is communicating is that walking in darkness or living in sin, keeping it in the dark, right? It will prevent us from ever having real, genuine fellowship with God and it will keep us from ever having real, genuine fellowship with one another. But on the other hand, fellowship, and I would contend friendship, is possible when we refuse and we fight against the temptation to live in darkness. In other words, here it is. Biblical friendship demands transparency. It demands it. It is not an optional aspect of our friendship. We must be transparent. And I want to stress this. I really do because if we do everything else right, hear me on this, if we do everything else right, if our friendships are marked by the other five marks, but we neglect this, we are neglecting one of the key facets of what biblical friendship is because to some degree, to some degree, the world can do all of the other ones. The world can show some affection. Now again, not to the degree that we are called to because we, we love because God first loved us, but they can show an affection for someone. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, some of my lost friends have been more committed in love to one another and their friendship than I've been with some believers. They can be consistent. I know unbelievers who have been friends you know, they're in their 60s and they've been friends since they were in kindergarten. And we'll see some of the other ones and you'll see that the lost world can do some of those to some degree. But in terms of transparency and, and, and fighting to, to live in light and not in our sin, the lost don't care about that. They really don't. And so this mark is one of the defining marks that sets us apart from the world. It is absolutely necessary to have biblical friendship. Now you might be thinking, why are you stressing that so much? Because I know the temptation to say, that one's tough, we'll do the other ones and skimp on the transparency side. Right? Like I'll love, I'll be constant, I'll be there, I'll have your back no matter what, but I'm just not quite comfortable opening up. I'm not quite comfortable confessing my sin to you. I'm not quite comfortable letting you see those parts of my life. I know the temptation. I felt the I feel the temptation even with you to want to hide. To only let you see like the dim parts of my heart but not the darkness. Cuz at least it just it makes me look a little better. But transparency, brothers and sisters, is absolutely necessary. But hear me, before we can be transparent, we have to acknowledge that there is a real temptation in each and every one of our hearts to hide our sin. Before we can be transparent, we have to acknowledge that there is a real temptation in each and every one of our hearts to hide our sin. This is not new. This goes all the way back to the garden again. Because do you remember the response of Adam and Eve after they ate the fruit? They, their eyes were opened. They realized they were naked. And then beginning in Genesis 3 verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the living God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they 
hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. The sinful nature of man and the flesh that we battle as Christians is predisposed to hide sin. Let me say that again. The sinful nature of man and the flesh that we battle as Christians is predisposed to hide sin. And so what that tells us is that we have to be overly intentional about sharing our sin with one another if we want true fellowship and friendship with one another. Each and every one of us have to fight for transparency because each and every one of us have sin that needs to be confessed. I mean, we see that at the last verse of 1 John 1 and the section we read, verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But even more, the Bible demands this of us. It commands us to confess our sin. In James 5.16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And, and listen to me, we have to make sure that we don't see this as a scary command to confess our sins. This is a blessing that God calls us to. It's a blessing that God calls us to. We have to believe that God never asks us to do anything that will not be for our good. Which means if God tells us to confess our sins, He is looking out for our best. He is being a constant friend. And He is pushing us to what is right and good and holy. I mean, let's call it what it is. We need one another to fight for holiness. You hear me say that so often because I want you to hear me say that so often because we are tempted to forget it. We need one another to fight for holiness. In Scripture, Satan is described as a roaring lion who is seeking someone to devour. You, on your own, are not stronger than Satan. You are not. You are weak and feeble, just like me. And on our own, we will never stand against that roaring lion seeking someone to destroy. But by the power of God's grace through the Holy Spirit, worked out in fellowship with brothers and sisters, we can fight and overcome. But we need one another. You know, I've shared this before with you all. You know, there are many difficult things to being a pastor. There are. But one of the weightiest things that we deal with, and you can ask any pastor who's put in time. You can ask pastors who haven't put in time. Lance is still fresh in the game, and he's had to walk through this. One of the weightiest things that we have to do is we have to shoulder and care for a lot of people who are in deep sin. And typically, when it comes to us as pastors, not when it comes to us as friends, all right, we have friends too, and sometimes this is just the normal, but when it comes to us in kind of that pastoral way, you get what I'm saying? By the time it's gotten to us, it has typically been undealt with for so long. It has festered and grown, and the reason it's being brought to us is because the devastation is being felt by them and those around them. I've sat with pastors who have 
committed adultery and hid it from the church and from their spouse. And it's wreaking havoc in their lives. I've sat with men and women who have been addicted to pornography and who have hid in the shadows for so long. And it's now years and years and years of sin that we need to unpack. I've sat with an individual who was in charge of finances. This was at a church that I knew when I was in South Carolina. And we as a, a team of leaders sat with him who had stolen and hid away almost $100,000 of church money and got caught. Not only was there sin to be dealt with, but now there were charges to be dealt with as well. But you know, one thing that I've noticed, and other pastors have noticed as well, is that most often, and I won't say every time, but I'd say probably 99 out of 100 times, when we sit and deal with those sins in people's lives, 99 out of 100 times, nobody knew it was going on. They weren't talking to anyone. They had no real deep friendships. They weren't confessing their sins to anyone. No one knew about the fight against sin they were trying to wage. And typically by the time it got to us, they had lost. And no one was fighting for them. Brothers and sisters, anything that God asks us to do is always for our good. And God has given us a blessing by commanding us to confess our sin to one another. And this blessing is an integral part of being a biblical friend. I am convinced, utterly convinced, that for many of you, if you were willing to lay yourself bare before your friends, not, not just confessing the easy stuff, but just to lay yourself bare, you would experience a depth in your relationships that you did not think possible. Your friendships would grow to the place to where you can say, my soul is satisfied. We need one another. So let me conclude. As we noted in the beginning, Spurgeon said, when thou hast found such a man... And prove the sincerity of his friendship when he has been faithful to thy father and to thee. Grapple him to thyself with hooks of steel and never let him go. If we want faithful friends in our life, if we want to hold them close so that you and them can look more like Jesus, then sink your hooks of steel into people. And this will require real affection. A real affection, one that, is, that will change how you live. Constancy in any season and circumstance and transparency. Some of you, before you lay your head on your pillow tonight, need to call a friend and just be transparent with your heart. Let others in to the deepest, darkest, even the most painful parts of your life. Trusting that God has given you a good thing. Trusting that God has given you a good thing. You know, through the cross, we have friendship with God. God is the pinnacle of the best friend. 
He has loved us. He has sought after us. He sent Jesus to live the life that we couldn't live, die the death we deserve to die. Jesus paid the penalty for us. We are invited into fellowship with God through faith and repentance. That invitation is extended even today to those who are not believers. We can have, through the finished work of Jesus, real friendship with God. And in light of that friendship with God that we have, we are freed from our sin and able to pursue these types of biblical friendships that were not available to us while we were walking in darkness. But they will take work but they are worth it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us such a blessing in friendship. God, and we thank you that we are not left to try to figure out what friendship looks like all on our own. But that not only have you given us examples in Scripture, but you are the example of the perfect friend. So first, Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would just cultivate in our hearts a longing for these kind of friendships. That we would not be satisfied with our isolation. We wouldn't be satisfied with merely acquaintances. But that we would long for this gift of biblical friendship. And Lord, after we begin to long for it, I pray that through the Spirit's power that you would give us grace to fight to cultivate these friendships. Knowing that they take work. That that we fight to maintain them because our affection will wane from day to day and so we fight to love. Our constancy will wane, Lord, because we are fickle people, but that we will fight for consistency, Lord, and that we will be tempted to walk and hide in darkness, but that we would fight to live in the light, believing that it is in the light that we have fellowship with one another and that the blood of Jesus will cover our sins. Help us to be a good friend as you have been an amazing friend to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.